Some of you guys might be, what's up with Pastor's water bottle? It's got all those wristbands. Why aren't they on his wrist? Because um, i got to take them off. I can just leave them on here and I don't lose them. Um, but one that I got on here over and over again is I like the Bible. I don't know about you guys, but I like the Bible. <laughs> and the Word of God does something for us as believers. Okay, We are really changed by it. And that's one of those things that God's told us. You know, He wants us to be fruitful. And how is that going to happen? Let's come from abiding in Him. And how do we do that? Well, if He's the Logos, the Word of God, we need to be partaking of the Word. Okay, And that's something that we get to do here at Freedom. I'm so excited for the Word that's set before us this morning because we're going to look at, I believe, the greatest conversion in the history of the church. We're going to look at one Jew's conversion in Acts chapter 9 this morning. So if you haven't turned there yet, please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Of course, we're talking about the conversion of Saul. So today we're going to look at what probably is the most famous conversion in the history of the church, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, who will become known as the great apostle. That's right, Paul. Someone has said of the conversion of Paul the apostle, Obliterate the influence of this man's 30 years of ministry, and you sweep all churches off the face of the earth. You quench all moral light of the age. You give Ephesus back to Diana, Athens back to Nineveh. You give uh, uh, Paphos back to Venus, and Rome to all the gods of her pantheon, and plunge the entire world once again into pagan darkness and heathen disillusionment to which there is no moral restraint. Wow! When I read that, I'm like, are you serious, dude? But then I thought about the impact this one man actually had in the early church and the fruit from his efforts. Many Bible scholars generally agree that aside from the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus ranks as the most significant event in all of church history. So without Paul, we would be without 13 amazing books that we find in the New Testament. So this is pretty amazing as we consider this man in his conversion this morning. So if God hadn't chosen Saul, he would have chosen someone else to do these things. But it is remarkable to consider the impact that this one man really did have in history, really history of the entire world. And of all the characters of the Bible, Paul is set apart. Luke actually speaks of his conversion three different times. We find it here today in chapter 9, also in chapter 22 and 26. And let me tell you guys, when God repeats himself on something in the scriptures, we need to take notice. There's a big purpose behind it. So when God repeats himself, it better get our attention. So this morning we're going to consider his conversion, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And I want us this morning really to consider just four things with his conversion. First of all, Saul as the hunter. And then we're going to see Saul as the pursued. And then we're going to see Paul, or Saul, sorry, I'm going to probably do that often. <laughs> Saul, he is transformed. 
And also, well, we see him surrendered first and then transformed. So that's what I'd like to look at with you guys this morning. But first, I want to look at him. What was he doing? Okay, we've read a little bit so far. He's come up a little bit in the book of Acts. But here, if you look at verse 1 in chapter 9, it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats. Isn't that the one thing we read about him earlier? Okay, he was bringing in threats. He was trying to take down the church, these Christians. Well, here he is, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Dr. Luke continues to use this animal-like term in describing Paul. Okay, he was like an animal consumed with hunting his prey, panting, huffing, puffing, still breathing, threats, murder. So Paul was enraged against Christians. Do you guys know anybody who's enraged against Christians? Yeah. Okay. So, anyways, I'm not going to talk about Facebook and what I saw this week. Anyways, people do not like Christians. And my whole thought is just like, hey, what Christians have you been hanging out with that you're this angry and hateful toward? It's just like, come hang out with me because I don't know what you're talking about, you know? Anyways, uh, but there are people that are in that place. And here we have Paul. He was enraged against Christians. He is on his way with official papers to Damascus to what? Hunt down believers. Okay, that's all he was doing. To tear apart families. To throw people in prison. So some people like to say that Christianity is a religion for weak people. You know, I've heard it said that it's a crutch for weak people to lean upon. Let me say this. It's not a crutch, okay? It's a stretcher. It's an ambulance. It's the hospital, guys. We are dead in our sins, okay? We have no hope. No man has no hope apart from Christ. So people who are not just sick, people are in need to be resurrected. We need to be revived you see we're dead in our sins. And you see here, guys, um, we have Saul of Tarsus, okay? And he's an example of a man who was not weak. Does he seem like a weak man here? No. Okay, he was a man with power, might. He was on a mission, and he was doing it. You see, Saul was an intellectual force in Israel, Listen to the description that he gives of himself. You guys can turn to Acts 22. But he's recounting his conversion. And he says in verse 3 there, then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Silica, but brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous towards God as you all are today. So trained at the feet of Gamaliel always gets me. That would kind of be like you or I going and sitting under the greatest professor that Harvard has. That was Gamaliel of the day. He was the man. If you wanted to learn, if you were apt to be that type of student, that was Paul. 
And Gamaliel actually said of Paul, I got no more books to give this man. <laughs> He's exhausted everything. So do you guys understand what type of intellectual giant that this Pharisee Saul really was? Okay, so Saul of Tarsus was his best student. And look at verses 4 and 5 in chapter 26. Just turn a couple over. He says this, As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from the earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. And if they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Okay. So he had that place, that position there in Israel. Paul, who wrote Galatians, he said this of himself in Galatians 1.14, and I, advi- or I, d- I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So Saul really was an intellectual giant when it came to Jewish law. And he was also a driven man. Okay? That can be a scary thing, which we see take place here. See, he was a man who was willing to yield all of his religious and political influence to exterminate Christianity. I'm willing to leave this and just take care of this problem that we see. Get rid of it. Go back to chapter 22 real quick. Just a few more verses there. He says in verse 4, I persecuted the way, okay? The way, again, is Christians. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? Okay, so people of the way. I persecuted this way to death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women in all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren. And I went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Then jump all the way down to verse 19. So he says this, So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I'm imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death. Okay, the first martyr. And guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. So he was in charge of Stephen's death. Jump to chapter 26 for a second. One more passage here. Paul speaking into his conversion again. Look at verse 10. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I, pers- I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So Paul went out of his way to kill Christians. Did you guys catch that phrase there? Exceedingly enraged? I looked that up today. Exactly what does that mean? Well, it's to be transformed by anger and to become a manic to that point. To go insane. To be mad. Saul was a mad man against the church. That was Saul's anger. He was so angry to the point of manacle violence and Saul was no weakling he was not a coward you see Saul uh, when Saul was on his mission to hunt down Christians Saul discovered that he was really the one being hunted 
ultimately. You see, guys, we see Saul is actually being pursued during this by a loving God. Sometimes we ask, God, how could you allow these terrorists, ISIS, your Christians, your children, to be martyred? Why don't you just mow them with lightning? (laughs) Take them out. I'm thankful for God's long-suffering, guys. You see, if we consider Saul being pursued, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus affirms this truth about Jesus, that Jesus receives sinners. That is one truth that is clearly taught through the conversion of Saul. Recall when the Pharisees were seeking to insult Jesus, said this man receives sinners. Remember that was (laughs) their accusation. Jesus, this man, he receives sinners. That's his problem. (laughs) They never would have, (laughs) uh, you know, um, they never would have been seen with sinners themselves, so they wanted to cast that judgment. So Jesus was always with them. And this is really the greatest compliment ever, that Jesus receives sinners. So listen, if you have not accepted um, (laughs) that of God, okay, that he will receive you for what you've done, Nothing's further from the truth. You can't ever do anything so bad that God can't forgive you, that he will not love you and receive you. God so loved the world. He even demonstrated that love while we were yet sinners. He died for us. So the conversion of Saul of Tarsus affirms that. Amen? Um, again, let's turn to 1 Timothy. I, I know I have you guys flipping a little bit, but there's so much that Paul speaks into because he got to write so much of the New Testament. He speaks into his own conversion. And again, guys, as we looked at last week, it's good to testify. It's good to share our own experiences. And Saul did that. And I don't know if I was Saul, Paul, if I would do that. Like, Want to hear my testimony? <laughs> I killed a bunch of Christians. That'd be horrible. Like, Anyways, but I want you guys to catch here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 to 15. He says, Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, and so on, he says, but the grace of God. Do you understand? You can put anything in there. It doesn't matter who you were or what you've done. Okay, His testimony here is the grace of our Lord. Okay, It was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. He understood his own sin. He says, I'm the chief of the sinners, guys. If you knew all that I did, how enraged I was against the children of God, against Jesus, against God. The cool thing is, Jesus not only receives sinners, but he pursues them. Don't you love that? And at this time, when Saul was filled with manacle rage going to Damascus to hunt down Christians, to imprison, beat, kill, It was in that state of manacle rage that Jesus pursued Saul. 
We know that the Bible says in many places, like Revelation twenty two seventeen, in the Spirit and the Bride say, "What? Come, right? Come. Let him who hears say, Come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him come to the water of life freely." That is the heart of our God. He loves us. And the Bible teaches us that His arms are open wide to anyone who comes. No one will be cast out. So that is the view of salvation from our side. It is to know whoever comes, whoever believes, will be received, will be saved. But we must also see this from God's side. His perception is He is the one who pursues the sinner. Saul was not pursuing Jesus, but Jesus was pursuing Paul or Saul, right? That is what was going on. So Saul was not in that place of seeking. I think a great illustration, Richard Connell, um, a famous short story that he wrote, The Most Dangerous Game. Have any of you guys ever read that? Is my wife the only one? Is she gone? Oh, go figure. Anyways, I'm like, hey, do you know this story? She's like, yeah. I'm like, cool. I figured others would know. But anyways, um, yeah, I think YouTube has an old movie from the 30s or something on the short story. You can look it up and watch the movie. But anyways, um, in, in the short story, The Most Dangerous Game, it tells about the adventure of his hero, uh, Sanger Rainsford, one of the world's most celebrated big game hunters. And Rainsford accidentally falls from his speeding yacht at night while en route to a hunting expedition along the south coast of South Africa. And Rainsford discovers uh, that the island uh, is inhabited by another hunter, a Russian nobleman, and his name was General Zuroff. Well, General Zuroff reaches out to Rainsford, cleaned him up, dinner, they went hunting, and I've discovered the greatest challenge, he said to him, a new breed of animal, one that's able to reason, one that is smart. Well, Rainsford said, there's no animal that can reason. Oh yes, we shall see tomorrow. Then Rainsford realized that he was the animal, or the, the animal, the hunter would be the hunted. You see, much in the same way with Saul, guys. He was the hunter, but he was actually the one being hunted by Jesus to destroy uh, him. Um, Jesus, not to destroy him, but what did Jesus want to do? He wanted to apprehend him. He had a higher purpose for Saul, a sanctified purpose. So Paul was a very unique vessel God is getting ready to send the gospel out to where? The Gentiles, right? To all the world. From Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth, right? So in his desire to reach Gentiles, God needed a Jew uh, who would wonderfully uh, steeped in the scriptures. Okay, at the time they only had the Old Testament, would know the word, but he also needed someone who was familiar with Greek culture. And he found this in Saul of Tarsus. Because Saul was raised in Tarsus, he was exposed to Greek culture, but he was trained in Judaism to be a Pharisee. He not only knew Jewish culture um, and was well-trained in the Scripture, he also knew Greek culture and he was well-trained in all of their writings. 
So God needed someone with expertise, but he also needed someone who was a Roman citizen so he could travel freely throughout the Roman Empire. Uh, we also know that God got, a, got the whole package with Saul. And I'm sure that sometime later this all made sense to Saul. Okay? When he was being called, I don't think he had a clue what was going to happen, all that would take place. And we get to do that as we go through the book of Acts to see what unravels with the life of Saul. Okay? He realized that God had been pursuing him all along. I think that's the one thing that we see happen this morning in the text before us. Like, wow, God has been there all along. See, Jesus wasn't waiting for Saul to find his way into the Bible study. And isn't that what we hope? Oh, it'd be so great if they would just come to church or if they come out for Bible study. If they would just finally come, then they might get it. You see, he was pursuing Saul even when Saul was his worst enemy. That's what was going on. This principle led one theologian to refer to God as the hound of heaven. I love that picture, okay? Jesus, the hound of heaven. He's going to find you. Um, so think back over your life. Note how Jesus was pursuing you way before you started having any interest in him. C.S. Lewis, the night that he got saved, said this, I was the most reluctant convert in all of England. I heard the feet of the one who pursued me, and I had nowhere else to run. And there in my dorm room of my university, I fell on my knees, and I surrendered to him there. I love that. You guys may not know this. The reality with Jesus pursuing Lewis, Lewis was a cynic. Okay? He did not like Christianity. He was a critic of it. But Jesus was pursuing him. And here today, you have, if you haven't given your life to Christ, he's pursuing you. He loves you. He wants you. He's on your heels. He wants to apprehend your heart. He's got a higher purpose for you. He wants you to be saved. I love God's purposes. So believers might have said of Saul, this guy will never get saved. He's never going to get saved. And Jesus would say, nope, at noon today. <laughs> Look at verse 3. As he journeyed, suddenly light shone, okay? Our perspective, suddenly. <laughs> Not from the Lord's, right? He knew exactly what was going down, Okay? He knew way before, well, since the beginning, <laughs> he knew the exact moment you were going to get saved, guys. You guys know that? He knows the exact moment we're going to die and we'll be with him in glory. He already knows that. He has foreknowledge of it. It's beautiful. So from Luke's perspective, from Saul's perspective, from all the Christians looking on with Saul's conversion, God knew it all along. Before everyone else, this suddenly happened. What's going on? Saul was just killing us. Now he's one of us. <laughs> what happened? Well, a light had shone, a blinding light. Let's go again to chapter 26 for a moment because I want to I talk about this light for a moment. We're going to look at verse 12 and 13. And Saul says this, Paul, 
While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me in those who journeyed with me. Okay, so this hot, arid desert, brighter than the sun at noonday. That'd be pretty radical, wouldn't it? And it makes sense, right? Okay, Jesus is the light of the world. So the word shining is really an amazing Greek word if you look it up. It means to, to be a flash or a blaze. So a flash all around, an enveloped light. It is striking. So when, when the atomic bomb was dropped on Japan, the flash from that bomb, that explosion was so great that images of people were actually sketched, shadows, into the concrete. You see, Jesus, guys, who identified himself as the light of the world, pursued Saul of Tarsus in such an intensely, intense way um, that the life and the nature of Christ was etched into Saul. Okay? So what an awesome moment this was. This proud, arrogant, arrogant Pharisee is knocked down. I don't like getting knocked down. But sometimes that's exactly what's needed, guys. You see, Jesus hasn't even said a word yet, and he's knocked down blinded. So listen, you don't want to stand before Jesus knowing him as anything more than Savior. You don't want to know him as your judge. But everyone will face him in one of those two capacities. Is he your savior or is he going to be your judge on that day? I will either face him as my savior and that will be glorious or I will face him as my judge and that will be worse than anything that I could ever imagine. Now I want you guys to notice the question that Jesus asked Saul in verse 4. We'll go back to chapter 9 now. He asked the question, why are you persecuting who? My kids? The church? No, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Me. Where's Jesus at this time? Right hand of the Father, right? He's ascended, resurrected, taken up in the clouds. So persecuted. His church, okay? To persecute his church really is to persecute Jesus. Do you understand? You see, you hurt or you sin against his church is to sin in, <laughs> really against Jesus. So every word of gossip bitterness against the church. It's really against Christ. So Jesus is never separated from his body. To persecute is to sin against Christ. And then verse 5, Saul says, you know, who are you? <laughs> I am Jesus. How radical would that have been? Okay, Because what had he been doing up to that point? Killing anybody that believed in this Jesus. Now Jesus <laughs> shows up. You know, why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against the goads? <laughs> right? And again, a goad is a sharp stick. It's a metal thing, you know, to poke an oxen or a donkey to get them going. I'm going to read verse 5 out of the Amplified Version. It says this. And Saul said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is dangerous 
and it will turn out badly for you if you keep kicking to offer vain and perilous resistance against the goad. So listen, it is empty and painful resistance that will turn out badly if you keep kicking against the love of God. Kicking against a sharp object is unreasonable and destructive. So God's word is described as what? A sharp sword, correct? A sword of love. Pierce to heal. Wounds to ultimately save. Like a surgeon's scalpel. And this is telling us that the work of redemption in Saul's life started long before this. Stephen's sermon. Stephen's prayer. Stephen's countenance that day that Saul would have saw upon his face. Pricking at the heart, a proud, arrogant Pharisee heart. And Saul was fighting it. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. I would say to you this morning, quit fighting. If you're going through the motions, if you're here this morning out of a duty, and you know God is trying to get your heart, but you're just proud, and you keep saying, no, no, no. That's not what I want. Humble yourself, guys. Quit kicking. I want you to note for those that you are witnessing too, some may seem very hard, and you're ready to give up. You're wanting to stop trying. I want you guys to note Jesus was pursuing Saul for a long time. And the time when he gets saved, he seems the hardest, right? Mechanical rage. Mechanical rage. So rock, if you take a rock and you throw it into a pack of dogs, which one's going to bark? The one that got hit, right? So the same thing is true, guys. You might think things are getting worse with this person. I don't know if they're ever going to get saved. In reality, they just might be getting close. (laughs) Really, really close. More enraged. You see, Satan launches last-ditch efforts to keep hold of people. So we see Saul as the hunter. Saul being pursued. And then we see Saul finally surrender. And I love, in verse 6, it says, trembling and astonished. Okay? Way more attractive to God than proud and resistant. (laughs) Right? Trembling. Trembling. Think about that. When a sinner truly is saved, he can't help but tremble. Okay? Realize what he's saved from. Fires of hell. Burning everlasting, right? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. (laughs) Terrible, okay? Terrible. So he's trembling here. His eyes open like a blind person suddenly sees his sight, right? Just to discover, oh my gosh, I'm on the edge of the cliff 5,000 feet down right here. That's what happens to a person when they get saved. Their eyes are open. Wow, that's where I was heading. And God grabbed me. He saved me. So three things I want you guys to catch with me this morning. It really marks 
Paul's surrendered life. First one we see in verse 5, Who are you, Lord? Okay, Who are you, Lord? That indicates a passion. Okay, Know Jesus. Okay, Know who you are, right? Hey, who are you? <laughs> I need to know. Okay, Everybody knows there's God. Only a fool says in his heart there's no God. Okay, So any person that's willing to be reasonable, logical, says, hey, I know that there's a creator out there. There is a God. Okay, But how many people actually search him out? Actually look for him and say, hey, who are you? Who are you? You know, and that's something I used to pray quite a lot in my early walk. I got saved, my eyes were open, you know. But who are you? I want to know. I want to know. Are you really like the God of the Bible? You know, or am I missing something? Because there's a whole lot of people that believe in this God, Allah. Am I missing something? I just want to know you. I want to know the truth. You know, and the Lord's faithful. Because the more you ask him, the more he reveals himself so really seek him to know him secondly by the way all is not god okay good um, verse six uh he asks, what do you want me to do i love that heart and that's a surrendered heart what do you want me to do yesterday the book came up absolute surrender by andrew murray i encourage you guys pick up that read a book i've read several times through the years it's one of those that i first time through it i had a hard time reading i'd read a few paragraphs and i'd have to stop like oh boy (laughs) but that's what god wants he wants a surrendered life unto him and that's exactly where paul's at hey i now know lord (laughs) that it's you jesus (laughs) what do you want that simple so that pursuit Desire to confirm his heart to the will of God, or to conform his heart to the will of God's. And I want you guys to note that Paul doesn't ask what he can do for me. What are you going to do for me, Jesus, now that I know you're the Lord? What are you going to do for me? His question is what? What can I do for you? What is my job? How am I going to glorify you? What do you want of me? So the mentality of so much of the church today is what can God do for me? Okay? If you've come here this morning with that mentality, you're missing the blessing of what God is doing here today. You're missing the blessing of the Holy Scriptures. Because when you come to it appropriately, you are going to see, you will be changed, you will grow. If you come self-seeking, you're going to miss who God is and what He's up to and what He has for you. It's really about our pursuit of Him. And I want you guys to know that Paul doesn't ask what about me no what about you so understand that god can do exceedingly beyond what we ask but if we come to church with the mentality of what can god do for me that is a very narrow man-centered view of christianity it's very egocentric christianity is meant to be theocentric christ-centered god-centered you understand that so god is to be the head of it And his will, not my will. Paul says, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Well, the third thing we see in verse 6, Jesus tells him to arise, and then we're told that he does it in verse 8. So immediate obedience. Isn't that cool? Arise! All right. (laughs) Go for it. 
So that immediate obedience to the Lord, a response to the will of the Lord, these three things made Saul so powerful, guys. Well, it's got to be more than that, Pastor. I think it's really that simple, guys. His passion was to know Christ. His pursuit was to do His will. What do you have me to do? And then His practice was to respond immediately. You want to bring glory to God? You want to bear much fruit in this life? Just do those three things. Pretty simple. See, conversion is the heart of Christianity. And change is the heart of conversion. So this singled a radical change in Saul's nature and outlook. Wrapping us up this morning, we're going to talk about his transformation now. Look at verse 10. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So, simple, right? Here I am, Lord. Verse 11. The Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for the one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. So first marked what? Praying, not persecuting. You see a transformation taking place already with Saul? Yeah. Verse 12 says, And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And Ananias answered, Lord, I, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the priest to bind all who call on your name. So Ananias is giving God a little bit of counsel, isn't he? <laughs> um, God needs our perspective, right guys? Um, <laughs> Ananias says he is blind. You know, why, why, why change that? Wouldn't it be better just to kill this dude? <laughs> like, um, Lord, are you sure? And I love it because does God rebuke him? There's no rebuke here. God understands, you know. Hey, you're, you're one of the saints that are being hunted for, for following me, for believing in me. I understand, okay. And I, I love that he doesn't rebuke Ananias here. But he simply says in verse 15, the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So the second mark we see is a new calling, and that is to be a chosen vessel. Look at verse 17. It tells us, Ananias went his way and he entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road um, as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's awesome. And then third mark, new family, right? Brother Saul. <laughs> Don't you guys love that? Brother <laughs> Saul. Of Tarsus, my brother, I hope. <laughs> you see, the family of God would become dear to Paul. Okay? He lost everything for Christ. And he had such an affection for the family of God. So every important re relationship, okay, 
forsook him. He had a new family. And then we see a fourth mark is he's baptized in the Spirit. There's an empowering, all flesh, all self-energy. Okay, Now it's just the power of God. It's going to be in your strength any longer, Saul, in your wisdom, in your might. I'm going to empower you to do some radical things. Look at verse 18 immediately. There fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and he was baptized. So publicly identifying with Christ, that's what he did. You know, people have asked me, like, why don't we do altar calls at Freedom? You know, why don't we, you know, give people an opportunity to respond by saying the sinner's prayer, raising their head, and maybe coming forward to receive the Lord? I don't see it in Scripture anywhere. I see people believe and they get baptized. Of course, we talked about it last week, you're not saved by baptism, but that's what you do. You go public. I'm a believer Go get baptized. If you got saved today, go tell somebody. Get baptized. And then we see verse 19, and this will be our last verse for this morning. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. So the fifth mark that I see here this morning for us is seen from a whole new perspective. And aren't you guys so glad God has opened our eyes to see. Man, what a gift. And Father, we are so thankful this morning for that great gift. God, we were all blind. Father, but you removed those scales that we could see. That we could see you, Jesus, to know you. And I simply want to ask this morning for my brothers and sisters, for myself, would you please help us to pursue you like we never have before. God, the hour's late. God. And the only thing worth living for is you. The only purpose in this life of worth, God, is you, to live for your namesake. Would you help us, Lord, as we've looked to your word this morning? You're changing our Christian character to be more and more like you every day until you come to get us or we go home to be with you, Father. We thank you for our brother Saul, Paul. We're looking forward to just seeing how you used him mightily over the next couple months here. As we we study through Acts, we just pray that his life, as we've looked at lives of others, they stirred us up. We pray that uh, his life, his missions trips, Lord, would do the same in our hearts. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.